Good morning, everyone. How are you all this morning? Good. I don't know if you noticed, that's a lot of Bible. That's a long text, isn't it? So I don't, I don't know how you want to start preparing for this. I don't know if you feel like you need to stand up and stretch. I don't want you to pull a glute or anything like that. We, need to, we may be sprinting through this text here, but I, I want to give this warning up front. Obviously, with, with the time we have and with the text we have, we're not going to be able to deal with everything. So if there's something in there you heard that you wished I would have spoken about or that you'd want to know more about, come find me after the service. I'm happy to talk to you about that, but we aren't going to deal with everything. So just so you know that. Um, let's, let's start in prayer, and then we're going to dive in and we're going to run. Father, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for your word. And we come to you as your people confessing that we need your word this morning. Life is hard. Our weeks are hard. Our work is hard. We live in a fallen world, and yet you, God, are good. You walk with us through each day. You know, as Reed said, every single thing about us, and there is not an ounce of us that you don't care infinitely for. So, Father, you know what we need this morning. And we ask that by your gracious and loving kindness, you would provide for us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so if you've read the text for this morning, or even if you heard it read a few minutes ago, there may be something in you, and I want to recognize this and call attention to this, that even unknowingly in you, resigned in you, that this chapter right here is simply a list of rules and regulations for you that these are just things you should do and these are the right things for you to do. And if you are not doing and thinking in these ways, then there's a problem. You may look at this chapter as if it's rules for married, rules for singles, rules for widows. And if that's where you are this morning, I just want to say this. We need to set a hard reboot right now. We need to get rid of that thought, and we need to reset our focus right here. Paul is laying out for the Corinthian church here not simply rules for living, not simply rules for married, not simply rules for singles, but a singular focus that should inform and empower us, every single believer. He's not simply taking time to say, this is what you should do And his point is not to speak to the married people so that the single people can check out for a few minutes. And his point is not to speak to the single people so that the married people can stop listening. Everything he writes here and everything he says is for all of us. So don't check out when he's not speaking to you specifically. Listen, and the reason why you are to listen is because every single one of us in this room Every single Christian that will come together in this church today, we are in this together. That what God has done, he's done in you and he's done in me so that you and I can be useful to one another. So that we can know what each other needs, needs to hear, needs to believe, and so that we can speak truth to one another. You are my brothers and sisters. You are whom I have covenanted with to walk through this life together and fight the fight of faith together. And this text encourages me and it encourages you so that you can point one another to God's goodness, point one another to God's character, 
Remind one another of the gospel right where you are, be that in your encouragement or be that in your discouragement, be that in your joys or in your hopes or maybe even right in your waiting and right in your disappointment. As believers, and you see this around the church, we don't just belong to Jesus, we belong together. Now, for some of you, this text may be difficult. It may speak to aspects of your life that are painful or raw due to something that maybe even no one in this room knows about. And you may hear this text and it feels like a burden for you. It's hard for you. It's a struggle for you. Simply more rules, more regulations for you to follow as if it were rules and regulations that you really needed. And if that's where you are this morning, I want to start by pointing you to what I think is the crux of this entire chapter. So if you will look with me at verse 35, here's what I think Paul is saying. This is the main thing right here, that if you miss this, you miss it all. Look together at verse 35. Again, if you don't have a Bible in front of you, uh, page 1135 in the blue uh, seat Bible. We don't have pews in here, do we? Auto mode there. Uh, Here's what he says. Verse 35, I say these things, or I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's letter here, and these words in this text concerning marital intimacy, loss of spouse, difficulties in marriage, or even difficulties in singleness. His goal is not for you to step in line, to burden you with new restraints or rules so that you will look like a better Christian. Because Paul knows what we know. Rules and regulations are not what we need. His hope for you is that you will experience the joy and satisfaction of undivided devotion to the Lord, that you will see that Jesus is enough, whether you're married, even whether you're single, and that joy is not found in marriage or in singleness. Joy is found in Him. Now, if you were here last week, you heard that the preceding chapter is instruction on really sexual intimacy as well. So we're dealing with that kind of two weeks in a row. And Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says these things, that if you are bought, that you are bought by the blood of Christ, that you are his, so honor the Lord with your body. Your body is not yours alone, it's his. And so he says, so don't unite your body with a prostitute. And there were some in Corinth that would have ran with that and said, oh, So to unite my body with a prostitute is bad. And so they would say, oh, so maybe to unite my body with anyone is bad too. And so they take this frame, even the married people to say, you know what? If if, if that's wrong, then I don't want to be united even to my spouse. And so sexual intimacy is something that they were saying, we're not going to do this anymore because we want to be godly. If it's bad to do that, then we want to not have sexual relations at all. And in chapter 7, Paul deals with that argument right there. He says, wait, hold up. That's not what I said, and that's not what I mean. Just because I said don't unite with a prostitute does not mean don't unite with anyone. Rather, he says this, ultimately, recognize sex 
for what it is. Recognize the benefit of sexual intimacy for the married couple. Now, throughout the Bible, we see that, that sexual intimacy is presented with several fruit or several goals. One of those would be procreation so that we can fill the earth and multiply. One of those would be pleasure. We have an entire book written about that. And Paul's going to give a new thing here. He says this, if you look at verse 5 with me, that sex in marriage is a means of protection for the married couple. That's what he says. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, Paul's concern in withholding sex from one another is that Satan would tempt you towards sin because of your lack of self-control. I don't think we need to dive too far into that. I think most of us get that. We understand that. We know what it looks like. We probably know ourselves well enough to know our particular struggles of temptation, our particular struggles of self-control. And here's the deal. None of us have arrived, right? God has declared us holy. God is sanctifying us, making us holy. One day he will complete that work. He will perfect us and glorify us, but we have not arrived yet. And so Paul clarifies what these Corinthians are misunderstanding. Sex is a good thing in marriage, in its proper context. It's a godly thing, for it is a means by which husbands and wives serve and protect one another from temptation. So married couples, make sexual intimacy a regular occurrence for the love and the service and the protection of your spouse. Now, for some of you, and in a lot of places, let's just be honest, these verses would not preach well. A lot of people would not want to hear this. And for some of you, this text here can feel like a sledgehammer, and I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge that when your, it may be that when your spouse comes to you for sexual intimacy, it feels more like you are being used. Like they don't really care, like you're unloved, for, uh, unloved that you're uncared for. And so you, you, you kind of buck against this verse. You don't like it. You don't like this text. And so you're hearing it and part of you is just saying, yeah, but. And I want to deal with that for a few moments because I think that is a real thing. And it means something. So let's talk about that. Let's throw it out on the table. Sex is a gift from God. And our God is a great gift giver. This gift is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be longed for. It's meant to be satisfying in our marriages. But let's be honest. There are times in marriage where husbands don't look forward to it. Our wives don't look forward to it. And let me just state what should be obvious here. If that's where you are, sex is not the solution to that problem. It won't fix it. It's not meant to fix it. And here's why. Because sexual intimacy is to be the fruit of a couple's connection, not the means to it. Does that make sense? Sex is meant to be the fruit of a couple's intimacy, not the means to it. If either of you, husband or wife, cannot look forward to sexual intimacy with your spouse, it's time to back up 
It's time to examine and it's time to look at what's going on. What's wrong in your marriage here? Wives, are you honestly respecting your husband's leadership in your home? Are you submitting to his authority over you? Husbands, are you loving your wives? I, I get it. The text says her body is yours. But guess what? So is her mind. So are her emotions. So are her fears. And so are her pursuits. She, like you, is a holistic being, and you are called to love her wholly. So, friends, I don't think Paul is saying to you right here, pursue sex. This is what I think he's saying. Pursue one another. Know one another. Treasure one another. And then enjoy the fruit of that intimacy together through sexual relations. Now, Paul goes on to speak to the unmarried and to the widows and to those, um, to those single people. And he says a few verses in here that I, I just want to call out and let's make sure we understand rightly because these are often misunderstood. If you look at verse 10, he says this, to the married, I give this charge. And then if you're in the ESV in parentheses, it says, not I, but the Lord. If you go down to verse 12, it kind of says the opposite. To the rest, I say, and in parentheses, I, not the Lord. Down to verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And now we'll often take that, people will often take that and say, okay, so this is scripture, this is inspired because he says that this comes from the Lord. But he says here he doesn't have a command from the Lord, so this is not something we have to listen to. And if that's what we're thinking, we need to say, okay, wait, time out. That's not what's happening here. What Paul is saying when he says in verse 10, he says, not I, but the Lord. What he's saying is, listen, this right here, Jesus talked about it. You could go back to the gospels. You could see what Jesus is talking about. You can see it coming from him. But then when he says, I, not the Lord, he's not saying this part isn't inspired. You don't have to listen to this. He's saying, Jesus didn't really talk about this. But as as an apostle inspired by God, This is what is true, so you need to know this. So there is no part in here where you need to look at it and say, oh, we don't need to listen to that. We don't need to honor that as Scripture, because that's not what Paul is saying. Everything we read in here carries the same weight, for it is equally inspired by the Spirit. So we can't relegate it to a lesser value. We can't deny it. We still want to submit to it and joy that this is the Word of God for His people. Now I want to notice what he says to the brother or the sister who is married to an unbeliever. Because this gets interesting. He says this. If you are married to an unbeliever, and I I think in this room, in this church, we, we have people in that situation, right? If you are married to an unbeliever and they want to leave, Paul says they can leave. But he then goes on to something else. And again, I'm, I recognize I'm kind of just throwing that, hand, that grenade out and letting it roll and moving on. If you want to talk about that, come talk to me afterwards, okay? But he goes on to this place that people don't always know what to do with. Look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. What is the deal with that the unbelieving partner is made holy? How do we deal with that? And I I just want to kind of shed some light on that right now. Here's what's happening. Imagine that you are in Corinth. You're not from a Jewish background, and you've become a believer in Christ, and you start reading the Scriptures, and you go to the Old Testament, and you're reading through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and you're, you're hearing them taught hearing them talked about, and you start reading about cleanliness and uncleanliness, right? The tabernacle, the laws, that to touch a dead body makes you, yeah, makes you unclean. That to touch someone with a skin disease makes you unclean, okay? That to eat foods that are unclean makes you unclean. That this is something that was happening here. And so Israel had all these laws and these new believers in Corinth are reading these things and they're, they're trying to come to understand and trying to come to believe that which is true. But then they're kind of hearing these stories about Jesus. They're hearing about his ministry and they see that Jesus came and he obeyed the law and he touched dead people. And what happened? They came to life. Jesus wasn't made unclean, they came to life. And he touched lepers, those with skin disease, and he's not made unclean, rather they are healed, they're made new. He declares all foods clean, and he comes with this messianic power that is not what you'd expect. You expect to see the law at work, and instead you see Jesus doing these miraculous things, showing that he is someone special. And so they're reading that and they're trying to understand. And they're working through this. And so they write to Paul and the questions are, hey, so I've believed the gospel. And when you believe the gospel, you are made clean, right? This this is the work. This is the messianic power at work that Jesus came. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. He died taking our sins on his shoulders, took God's wrath against that sin and was raised up three days later. And that anyone who will come to him in faith has their uncleanliness removed, has their sins removed, has their rebellion forgiven and they are made clean in Christ. Look, that's what we preach every single week. That's what we sing about. That's what we pray about because it's our only hope. That if we as sinners are going to be made right with God, it will come through faith in Jesus, not through what we do. And so they see that and Corinth sees that and they see that their only hope to be made clean is to trust in the one who came. It's our only hope as well. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in anything other than Jesus to save you, stop. God has made the way through faith in Christ. And so Corinth is looking at that, and they're wondering, does my unbelieving spouse make me unclean? Do I need to separate from them? Do I need to divorce them? And look how Paul answers here. He says this, no, you will not be made unclean by them. Lord willing, they will be made clean by you. It's this picture of the gospel not just coming and transforming, but going through God's people to transform others. Paul is saying when you as an unbel- when you as a believer are married to an unbeliever, they come into interaction. They come into the presence of the gospel. 
And so he gives hope. He's giving hope and he's giving power to these spouses who are in these difficult marriages who came to Christ and their spouses didn't come with them. So now there's strife, there's trouble, there's pain. And Paul says, stay, remain, persevere and pray because you never know what God's going to do. So so hear this, if you are in this room, that's your story. We love you. And take this hope that Paul gives. Your labor and your pain, your struggle, if that's your story, is not in vain. God will use it in ways that you can't imagine. And we join you in praying for that. I've got a huge clock in the back of the room, and I've got one last thing to talk about here. Uh, One last area I I think we need to touch on. I think this is important. Paul writes to singles in the church, to those who are widowed, to those who have never been married. And this is what it says. And it may not be what you expect, either as a married person or as a single person. He says this. He says, marriage is a wonderful thing, but I think singleness is better. He says, if you burn with passion, then by all means get married to protect yourself from sin and from temptation. But if you don't, recognize the gift you have. Recognize the greatness of singleness. Paul calls singleness a gift. Now, I I think that too often the American church treats and looks at singles like they haven't yet arrived. Like they're lacking like they're second-class Christians. We bemoan the fact, and we say this regularly, that the world has made an idol of sex, right? I fear that it's very possible that the church has made an idol out of marriage. As if real Christians are married and those who aren't are missing it. Friends, that is not what Paul says. He says the opposite. And if that's our push... Okay, I'm, I'm a family's pastor here. Let me lay my cards on the table. But if that's our push, where marriage is the goal and family is the goal, and that's what life looks like, then no wonder, no wonder those Christians that struggle with homosexual tendencies feel like we're saying, no, you can't live because you can't get married because we made an idol out of something that never was. No wonder singles feel like second-class Christians because we made marriage the goal when while marriage is the norm, it's not for everyone. So let us be careful that we don't disagree with Paul here and what he's saying. Listen, if you're married, you know this. Life is not found in marriage. Life is not found in your spouse. If you're single, life is not found in a husband or in a wife. Life is found in Christ. And if you have him, he gives strength and he gives patience and he gives perseverance. If you desire to be married, we join with you in praying that he will bring about that spouse that before the foundation of the world he planned for you. But life is not found in marriage. 
You can live now through the life that Christ gives to you. As a pastor here at this church, I want to lay that out and say, this is the official position of our church, okay? One author wrote, and I love this. If, If everything in Christian community involves being married with children, we shouldn't be surprised when singleness and celibacy feels like a death sentence. You feel the weight of that? Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says the opposite. He holds this incredibly high view of singleness, shockingly so, I think, because we have bought into the lies in some sense. He says this, who is that that is best suited to the service of Christ? Singles. Why? Because the married man and the married woman are divided in their interest. The married, according to verse 33, is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, how to serve her, how to raise her children, how to provide for their family. Their interests are divided, but the unmarried are anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. Now, there are two lies. You you hear me speeding up because I'm watching the clock. Now, there are two lies that I think singles are probably prone to believe. I haven't been single in a few years, but I'm, I'm just trying to work through this prayerfully. I want to touch on those, that if you desire a spouse, you desire a family, and you don't have one, they might believe the lie that God is withholding from you, that God is withholding some sort of good from you. Brothers and sisters, this is what the Bible says, and I'm not trying to throw a Bible verse like a Band-Aid on a bullet wound here, that if God gave you his own son, he's not going to withhold any good from you, okay? In his good timing, he will bring it. Paige Benton Brown said this, and I I love this. I found it and I thought, yes. She said, I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I am too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me because this is his best for me. It is a cosmic, I love this, it is a cosmic impossibility that anything could be better for me right now than being single. Listen, if you desire marriage and you're single, continue to pursue godly relationships. Continue to pursue depth of friendships in this church. Continue to pray and continue to trust that God will do what is best in and through you in his good timing. Now, the other lie I see singles possibly believing is that because you aren't married, you can't have a ministry. Don't believe that lie that, quite frankly, churches may have sold you, that until you are married, you can't faithfully serve, that until you have a husband or a wife, you're lacking in your ability to teach or to lead or care for others. Paul says, now is the time. This is a gift for you. Take this time and use it for total devotion to and total joy in God. Single friends, I encourage you to dive into this body. Dive into this ministry. And if it's a family you long for, recognize that for now, this is the family God has given you. Brothers and sisters to walk hand in hand with. This is a family that God has graciously given you and you are meant to find joy in this family. Now, marrieds, Married people, I encourage you to be thankful to God for the singles in this church, to see them and to encourage them towards faithful ministry, to encourage them in God's and your love for them. They're a gift to us, and we're meant to be a gift to them. 
And we are hindered in our ability to be a gift and an encouragement to them if we don't know them. So families, married people, it's something practical. When you're planning your week, planning family events, planning Sunday after church lunch, planning who to have over for dinner one night, don't leave them out. Don't assume they have something better to do. See them as a part of this family with which God has blessed you. Bring them in. Love them. Serve them. Speak truth to them and grow alongside them. Isn't it amazing the gift that God has given us? A family of believers marked by love, fulfilled in joy and moving forward together in faith. May God make it so for us. In Jesus' name, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word that encourages us. And I thank you for this church family that you've blessed us with. Father, make us faithful brothers and sisters, not so that we can fulfill duties, not so that we can feel good about ourselves, but because you have given us this family so that we can find joy in you so that we can find encouragement in you, so that we can regularly be reminded of the gospel. Father, this morning, may no one be left out. May no one feel left out, but may we pursue you together. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together and sing our final song.